Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Almighty and gracious Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have given us your word, that we might not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds, that by testing we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We pray, Lord, that as we read this passage tonight, we would not be uh, conformed to this world, but you would transform us by the renewing of our mind through the work of the Holy Spirit, that we might be able to discover and know the will of God. Help us to do this through the work of the Spirit in our hearts and our minds for your glory. We pray in Christ's blessed and holy name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you are making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. You are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I yearn for you. All with affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment and that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus, to the glory and praise of God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. One of the first words that you teach a child and you seek to be able to instill in them is a simple word, but a word with great meaning. Thank you. First words we teach our children when we come to sign language is other important ones of please, but also of thank you. More is also an important one for young children, but to try and instill this idea in them, thank you. And Paul begins this message to the Philippian church, giving thanks to God for this church that stands and proclaims the gospel. He begins his letter by saying, I thank my God in all remembrance of you. As you remember in Acts chapter 16, the great story of the the, the planting of the first Presbyterian church in Philippi. And here Paul, years later, maybe about 10, 15 years later, sits in a prison cell. He begins to write this letter to this church. And and the word that comes forth is, is, thank you God. And Paul gives thanks to God for this church. He doesn't thank the church. 
He thanks God for the church. Paul is, is channeling what James would write in his first chapter. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Here Paul is thanking God for this great and glorious gift of the church in Philippi. That all thanksgiving in Paul's mind is directed towards God. Actually, that's the opposite of what we should, it's the opposite of what those who deny God do. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says that although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Not only are they to, give thank, uh, to praise God, to honor him as God, but to thank God for these many blessings. And Paul does just that for this church. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, Therefore, as you received Christ, the Lord, so walk with him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That here, once we think of what Christ has done, what he has done for his church and his people, you receive Christ, walk in him, rooted, built up, established as you were taught. How, what is the fruit of this message, thanksgiving that abounds? And Paul is in a dark prison cell and, and, he, and he's thanking God. He's thanking God for this church. So what about this church does Paul give thanks to God for? Now this week, we're going to specifically look at Paul's heart towards the church in Philippi. What they have done, the thanksgiving is upon his lips. But next week, we're going to look a little bit closer. What does Paul pray for this church? Although we'll be looking at Paul's heart towards his church, a pastor's heart towards this church, I do not think it's an exclusive that it's only what a pastor feels about a church. But any member can feel about a church, a congregation. That we would not only merely just wait for our pastors to give thanks for a church, but also that we'd give thanks to God for the church. As we each serve in different ways and manners that he has placed us in. So what does Paul give thanks to God for? The first thing that he gives thanks to God for is he gives thanks to God for their history. I thank God in all my remembrance of you. Although Paul is in a prison cell. As we just read in Acts chapter 23, he was told that he was going to be going to Rome. He finds himself in this prison cell in this time as he writes back and he fondly remembers. He remembers their partnership. Not only their partnership in the present day, but from the very first day. He walked up and saw those women having a Bible study on the river. Although it's a simple point, it is very important. Although we might not find ourselves in a place that we thought we once were, not able to be able to do what we once could, as Paul maybe had all these visions and plans and hopes and dreams of what he might be able to accomplish, 
We have all these memories and sweet times of fellowship of past events. But yeah, we can still thank God for those times. We can still give thanks to God for how he has worked in times past. Paul is able to thank God. Not only what he has done today, but what he has done in the past to lead to today. What God has given in the past. The second thing that Paul gives thanks to God for is he gives thanks with joy. Now, you you just even reading this short little passage, you see that Paul is, is filled with emotion towards this congregation at Philippi. He begins chapter 2 by saying, If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. He says in chapter 4 that this congregation, whom I love, whom I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord my beloved. And Paul loves this congregation, and this congregation loves Paul. Now, it does not mean that the joy is always found in a congregation. Or there's a lack of joy does not mean that there's not love. You find out in Revelation chapter 3, there's a church there. And we find out as Christ writes a letter to them, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. A pastor's warning and calling a church to repent is love. But here, Paul only has joy. He loves the Galatian church, the church in Galatia. Therefore, he needs to tell them that they've been led astray, that they're following a false gospel. They're adding the law to the gospel. But here in this church, in Philippi, Paul has joy. And he thinks of this congregation thanking God. The author of Hebrews understood this well when he tells the the audience he's writing to, Obey your leaders, chapter 13, verse 17, and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Here the congregation is given options. You obey and submit to them as they seek to be able to give an account to the Lord in the end time, in the last day. Now they can do this with either joy or groaning. And if it's with groaning, it's not going to be any advantage to you. Now don't say this as any comment to those present in the room. Merely stating that broad truth that a pastor, that elders can find joy in their congregation as they seek to be able to follow Christ. As the author of Hebrews previously pointed out in that same chapter, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way and imitate their faith. These are the same leaders in which he then writes later, ten verses later, to obey your leaders. These leaders who speak the word of Christ to you that they might have joy and do it without groaning. The third thing that Paul writes about giving thanks to the Lord is he gives thanks to the Lord for their partnership. In verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel 
Paul sees these members as fellow partners in the same mission and the same goal. This term is often used of that of a business relationship. He says it later in verse 7, that you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Here Paul is, is miles apart from this congregation, and yet he says this congregation are partakers with him. They're in prison with him as he defends and confirms the gospel. Paul doesn't feel alone in this cell. He feels supported and loved by this congregation. They've financially supported him, and he's encouraged by them. He's praying for them, and they are praying for him. Although distance separates them, they're united with this common ministry. So Paul gives thanks to God for this partnership. Now we'll see more of this in the rest of the book, but a glorious encouragement that everyone in the church needs each other. That we need each other. That we're all on the same mission. And whether we're opposed or there's, there's division, often it's because we're not united with the same mission. We get sidetracked with the things that are often not important. The fourth thing that he gives thanks for is their connection. In verse 7 and verse 8, it's right for me to feel this way about you, because I hold you in my heart. And then in verse 8, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. What ties these two people together, the church and Paul, Paul and the church, is not the high schools that they attended and graduated together, not because they're high school friends. What unites them is their love for Christ. And Paul, this pastor, has a strong love for his people because of, he shares Christ's heart for these people. He yearns for them as Christ yearns for them. This is the exact same word that is used in Matthew's gospel, the same root word. When, when Jesus sees the crowd, he looks out upon them and he has on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And here Paul looks at them and he yearns for them. His heart is, he holds them in his heart. There's a connection because of what Christ has done for Paul. Paul is connected to the church and he shares that heart for his people. Actually, in verse 7, he says that he holds you in my heart, as the ESV translates. The Greek actually can be translated different ways. It's, it's unhelpful, but it is helpful in a way because it can be translated that I have you and you have me. And what ties this church together is, is not merely that they share a couple of details off to the side. Their love and their strength and their bond to Christ, their union to Christ. The sixth thing that he gives thanks to God for is he gives thanks for the glory and praise of God. In verse 11, he says, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is there in prison and he thanks God for this church. Paul is there. Here he is thanking God for a church that is far distant from him. There's many things that he could be praying 
And yet he prays for this church and he prays to his God. The truth is here, Paul writes that I thank my God. That him being in prison doesn't change the, effect, the affection that he has for his Lord. What a height of maturity it is to be able to think of others when you are at a low spot in your life. Thank you is one of the first things we're learned and taught, learn to say and taught to say, but how it takes a lifetime to learn how to say it and to mean it, to grow. So too it is for a Christian that we should learn how to say thank you from the first breath of our born-again life to the last breath in this life that we share. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the measure of our spirituality is the amount of praise and thanksgiving in our prayer. And here Paul is a great mature Christian in which we should emulate to be able to say thank you. So what can and how can we apply this passage? How do we give thanks to our Lord today? The first thing that we can do is give thanks for our history. 1874 to today. In this church, coming up 125 years. Doesn't take long to be able to hear or read about the great stories which God has done and accomplished through this small church. Growing from a few people gathering underneath an oak tree. Spreading centuries. Sharing the gospel with those in this community and around the world. That we see God's gracious hand upon this church, his flock. We can give thanks to God for the men and women who have taught with us, taught us the gospel, prayed with us. We give thanks and praise to the people who have walked through these doors and heard the gospel through various things, of VBS and, and our services. We give thanks to God for his provision to be able to provide these great and glorious facilities in which we can share the gospel openly and freely with those who come into our midst. Although this church probably has not had many lawyers or doctors in our midst, we have been greatly blessed with men and women who serve our Lord, who have given to the church, not always in financial means, but using whatever the Lord has blessed them with to be able to bless His kingdom and further His kingdom. So we can give thanks to God for our history. second thing we can do is give thanks with joy. Often I tell people in my introduction to church ministry, I preached one sermon and the next week they canceled church because of COVID. That although in this short time in our ministry here, or my ministry here, we have seen what some people have called tough times. People talk about their difficult times going through that, the, the divisions in a church, the conflict that arose the stresses and anxiety placed on a pastor. That has not been my case here at Seven Springs. There have been times filled with joy. We give thanks to God for that joy. That we give thanks to God for the joy that we have in Christ. Stephen Charnock said, There may be joy in God when there is little joy from God. Although we might go through difficult times, our joy is not in the times that we find ourselves. Our joy is in the everlasting, eternal God. The third thing that we can do is give thanks as we partner with each other and others. We can give thanks to God as we partner together to be able to share the gospel 
making disciples, both young and old. Not merely just inside these walls of this church, but also outside the walls as we continue to support missionaries, Bill and Susan Carr, Charles and Benita Davidson. We can continue to support those who partner and and share the same essence essence of gospel ministry. As we pray and, and seek, maybe one day Presbytery might plant another church in our bounds. That we might be able to partner with them to be able to see the gospel brought to a new neighborhood or a new region. The fourth thing that we can do is we can give thanks to God for our connection with Christ. That we pray that our church is known for love for Christ above anything else. That we might all come from different backgrounds or areas. We might be a different people or groups. We might cheer for different teams, spend time doing different things in our spare time, having different views on political policies. However, that we would give thanks to God, that we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the greatest passages, I think, in Acts chapter 13 is right at the beginning of Acts chapter 13 when we find out members of the church. Here you have Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Here you have people who are zealots for political upheaval. You have people working with Herod the Tetrarch and friends of him. You have Paul, a Pharisee. And yet they're all together, worshiping the same God, serving God. Although they come from different past backgrounds, the Lord still uses them. fifth thing, the sixth thing we can do is give thanks and praise to God for, the, for His glory and praise Him. That all thanksgiving and praise needs to be directed towards God. He is the one who deserves all glory, honor, and praise. And when we remove this aspect, we remove the most vital piece of that puzzle. A.W. Tozer says, God's glory is and must forever remain the Christian's true point of departure. Anything that begins anywhere else, whatever it is, is certainly not New Testament Christianity. When we merely think that of our history and give thanks for our history, not thanking God for our history, and not directing all praise and glory and honor to God, we then elevate our history above God. When we elevate our joy above God and not finding our joy in God, then the fleeting things of this world, we will not find joy. It ends. It is not eternal. If we partner with others for any other sake than partnering in the gospel, we have our limits. There is no purpose. What we become is merely a country club, not a church on a mission to make disciples. And when we think merely of our connection because we come to the same place every week, and not that we are united to Christ, brothers and sisters, that our union to Him is paramount, 
And we should encourage each and every one of us that this is the above goal. And after we think of all these things, how can we not? How can we not give glory and honor and thanks to God? As Thomas Ken wrote, Blessing and honor, thanksgiving and praise, more than we can utter to thee, O most adorable Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, by all angels, all men, all creatures, forever and ever. Amen and amen. The psalmist writes in Psalm 100. Enter his thanks, gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. The center of all thanksgiving is praise is directed towards God. And our prayers should be the first and foremost. We begin with thanksgiving, adoration to God for what he has done and who he is. The author of Hebrews says, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. The thanksgiving would be forever on our lips forever upon our hearts as we praise him as Paul did to the church in Philippi. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise. We pray, Lord, that we would share Paul's heart as he did to the church in Philippi with your church here on this earth. Lord, that we would give all thanks and praise not to the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but to you, who is above all. Lord, we thank you for our history here at this church, for our partnership here in this church, for the joy that we have at this church. For, Lord, all of these things, our connection to Christ. Lord, but, Lord, let you be the center of all of it. Let us be faithful to you. Let us worship you with all reverence and awe. Lord, let us give thanksgiving upon our hearts. Let us not take any credit for ourselves. Let us not worship these things you have given to us. But let us worship you, the giver of these great and glorious gifts. We pray in Christ's blessed and holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.